I had sort of a dream that all I needed to do because of the brain being an infinite system was to find a way to help it see itself. So I sought first to see itself in on a you know spectrograph on computer screen. When we have a trauma, the brain moves as best it can into a position of what's called sympathetic dominance or fight or flight. The more the greater the trauma, the greater the fight or flight. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have Lee Gertis. He's the founder and CEO of Saraset Brain Talks. The website is saraset.com. It's spelled C-E-R-E-S-E-T.com. So we're going to talk about what Saraset is and does and Lee's work in acoustic brain stimulation. So Lee, thank you for coming. Hey, Richard, good to be with you. If you would, tell me a bit about your background. Yeah, I always am curious what makes people do what they do. So if you would, and uh, you know how you got the idea for Saraset. You know, some people do things because they want to or they have a dream. I did Saraset because I had to. I was assaulted in 92 by four youth. One had a baseball bat and I had mild traumatic brain injury or presenting post-concussion symptoms then for the next eight years. Nothing helped. And so I went downhill for eight years and I faced a lot of sleeplessness, headaches from time to time, dizziness. My emotional responses were inappropriate for the situation many times. And I just, my quality of life was just sinking. And so finally, I decided that behavioral science didn't help. Therapy didn't help at all. And medical science didn't help. So what was I to do? I knew things changed. Everything changed when the baseball bat hit my head. And so I started looking at my brain. My background was in math and physics and psychology and theology and computer software. So I put together some software and started looking at my brain. I found out that left and right hemispheres were in, in corresponding lobes were highly asymmetrical when I was feeling the worst. So I had sort of a dream that All I needed to do because of the brain being an infinite system was to find a way to help it see itself. So I sought first to see itself in on a, you know, spectrograph on computer screen, but that took a long time. It took about three seconds at that time. It was about 2000 from going from the brain through the uh, sensors into the electronic equipment and into through the computer but the sound, if I, if I replayed that electronic uh, image in, that I got from the brain in sound, that only took 500 or 1,000 milliseconds at the time. And so I, I hey, used what, sound. What does that mean? What are you hearing <clears throat> versus what you're seeing? What's well, different about when, that? When I, I use sound, I decided I, not to show the whole spectrum, but only to show the dominant frequency in the middle range. And as I did that, I assigned a note, a musical note at the time. They're no longer musical notes, they're engineered notes. But 
It was a musical note at the time. I, re, I assigned one musical note to each frequency in the middle range of the frequency spectrum in the brain. So whenever that dominant, that frequency was dominant, I played that note and I just listened to okay. it. What was the original sound? What do you mean? Was it like a, a bird sound? What was the original sound and which sounds are more amenable to this versus not? It doesn't matter the instrument, actually. It mattered that, you know, just we, we used a number of instruments, actually, and we still, we still have a variable number of instruments, piano, strings. We even have voice that we recorded now. But the notes are what's key because the note tells the brain in a short order that it, in fact, is listening to itself. So you'll see, you'll be able to see the brain change and usually a matter of, in the first session, usually a matter of a couple minutes, maybe a minute. Wait, so, okay. So if I say your name like uh, Gertis, you're playing instead of Gertis? No, the client doesn't doesn't say anything, doesn't do anything. The client sits with eyes closed in a relaxed chair. From that position, we look at the brain because that's what we're trying to respond to is the brain. We don't want to engage the client, actually, and we don't. The client often goes to sleep, in fact. It's it's a comfortable chair, so it's nice to take a nap. <laughs> but the session then um, allows the brain in all corresponding lobes to hear itself, and then what happens is it balances itself. Well, what do you mean? You you play the, the native sound and then you play the tones, or... You're doing both, or I'm not, I'm not sure like what's, what's happening. The brain fires at a frequency. That frequency is a certain note assigned to it, and we play the note. Then the brain immediately fires another frequency dominant in about 500 milliseconds, half a second. Mm-hmm. And we play another note, and so on, and so on, and so on. So the brain gets to see and start tracing itself, and the frequencies on the high side come down, the frequencies on the low side go up slightly, and, and they start to play in the middle more. When that happens, what's stuck in the frequency spectrum, what's stuck literally in the brain, is, is enabled to regulate itself. So you're playing a series of tones and watching the brain react and then playing subsequent tones based on the brain's reaction? Or, you know, I guess I'm, I'm sorry. The computer software is... Yeah, computer software is playing tones based on the blank, on the brain's dominant frequency, and it continues to pick up dominant frequencies in in about you know a half a second. It, it actually we're doing it in four milliseconds, frankly, and then we're finding out that dominant frequency in a half a second, and then we're changing the tone about every half a second or so. so you're playing a series of tones, and the brain responds to each tone with its own response, and then you're tailoring. The subsequent tones based on that response, or like what does this dance yeah, look correct. like back and forth? Correct, it's real time. Yeah. Okay, and what does this do? Like, what kind of issues do people come in with, and how does this resolve them? Well, the issues are, for example, sleep, or anxiety, or depression, or concussion, or chronic fatigue, or there's a lot of issues. The brain drives everything. Everything we do think, say, and experience is driven by that little three-pound mass between our ears. So when we're able to help the brain to regulate itself, we're able to help many, many things, all optimal performing, but many things. Problems like concussion or whatever it may be, you play these tones, they're having a a dysregulated response versus a normal brain. 
Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's it, it is dysregulated. It's a dysregulated brain that regulates itself. And then the tones, you know, follow that regulation. Each person will have a different area of regulation and a different way that they regulate. We're all very, very different. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on Support Us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click Support Us today. Now back to the show. That's that's great. Uh, are the tones helping the brain to regulate when it it's abnormally regulating right now? Like like what's an example? Like so someone with a concussion, if they hear tones, <laughs> let's say in a you know a high pitch, they respond differently than a person without a concussion, or they respond abnormally. And does this train the brain to respond more normally? Think about it this way. Think about two tuning forks. You're going to strike one. You know what happens to the other one? It picks up that vibration, right? It picks up that energy. And then they go back and forth. So if you stop the first one and the the second one is now uh, moving or making the sound, then they resonate. They They go back and forth. And that's what happens between the brain and the computer, basically. So there's a consistency and the brain picks it up. When when we have a trauma, the brain moves as best it can into a position of what's called sympathetic dominance or fight or flight. The more the greater the trauma, the greater the fight or flight. When finally the brain is overwhelmed by that trauma or that stress, it flips and goes to the other side. The other side is a parasympathetic dominance or what's called a freeze response. In this case, in that case, the brain settles itself to move the client into a numbing position. Actually, you know, blood pressure is dropped. Vision is subdued. Movement is subdued. Everything is numbed. So when, for example, Dinosaurus Rex was chasing the caveman, caveman his brain knew that he wasn't going to outrun Dinosaurus Rex, so he went into what's called the possum effect, right? You know, duck and curl, because he couldn't get away from that stress. Fleeing wasn't an option, and fighting wasn't an option. We do that same thing when we hit stressors in life, each of us do. And if that stress is too bad, like the loss of a loved one, then that can go into a parasympathetic dominance and really get stuck. For many soldiers coming back from Afghanistan when they were in the war theater, they came back with post-traumatic stress because they were in fight or flight all the time, right? And they got stuck there. And so that was then diagnosed as post-traumatic stress. Then they couldn't sleep. Their emotional response wasn't, well, wasn't appropriate to the situation, etc. And they often had other anxiety or depression and or other things went on too. 
So those are the kinds of clients that come to Saraset, and and then we actually help them to reset their own brain. And how do you know what the normal response should be? Do you have, I guess, a library of typical responses to these sound no, patterns, and then you try no, to recreate not at that? All. We don't do that. We only play the dominant frequency that's in the brain at the time, and only those dominant frequencies in the middle range. Would it, so are you putting like a skull cap on people and looking at their brain waves? No, we put sensors you know what... on. We put sensors on the scalp. Four sensors are placed. Two two sensors are placed on one set of corresponding lobes. Two sensors are placed on another set of corresponding lobes, and that's how we start looking at the brain in these four corresponding lobes. And then we move to another four, and then another four. Okay, and you're, so you're, whatever dominant tones the brain's already giving off, you're playing it back to the brain, and then what, the brain, what does the brain do differently than it did before? The high frequencies in the brain will usually come down. The low frequencies in the brain will usually come up a little bit, and the left and the right will start to create a symmetry, and the brain will then regulate itself. Well, all right, so how do you know when it regulates itself? What does it do differently? You can see it. It's symmetrical. What does that mean? I, you know, I, I haven't seen this happen. So what does that mean? It's, it's symmetrical. What does it look like before and after? Is the waveform more symmetrical, the response? or The waveform for the left side has one amplitude for a given frequency. The waveform for the other side has another amplitude. Those, those amplitudes and those waveforms need to be relatively synchronized in order for the brain to self-regulate. So what this is doing is helping it to get and achieve that synchrony. Okay, so the different the what the left and right hemisphere may respond differently. Yeah. In in these people and then when it responds similarly, what does that do to the person? Like how does that help them? They relax. First and okay. foremost, they, they relax and they they all, almost always sleep better. So do you see with uh, certain injuries like a pattern of either left or right hemisphere dominance depending on the injury? No, so it's the person. We could we can all have we could have similar injuries. For instance, COVID was an incredible case. And uh, at point now, many people had COVID, but the brain of those people worked with fifty six different symptom categories, and we will see those symptoms in different lobes of the brain in different ways. But we don't care about that. All we care about is that we can help the brain to self-regulate because once it does, it can solve those symptoms. Yeah, I understand the self-regulation is great. I just wonder if you saw an underlying pattern, like, you know, did handedness play a role? And again, which side was out of sync with the other or, you know, know, are there any patterns? There, There are lots of patterns, you know, lots. For instance, in COVID, there, there's a very strong pattern in the left frontal quadrant for to be dominant in very low frequencies when there's brain fog. There's okay, uh, so, go ahead. Oh, go, go ahead. Say more, please. So that the same thing's true. It could be a left temporal lobe off or a right temporal lobe off, and that's the that's basically a where we look at the autonomic system. So when we see the left or right brain in in the autonomic system off, we know that on the right side, it's fight or flight. On the left side, it's freeze. And that's always the case. Oh, if there's a response on the left 
side that's more fight or flight and the right side is the freeze response? No, it's the opposite. Right side is fight or flight. Left side is freeze. I don't know if you ask people, but some people, I guess, would tend to respond by freezing in a stressful situation. Other ones may react by running. Other ones may react by, again, fighting. So is how a person typically responds showing up when you see how the brain reacts? Is there a patterning there? Well, I don't care necessarily how the person reacts. We're not measuring reaction. We're looking at the brain. And from the brain, well, I'm just we can, saying to uh, to see if there's a pattern there. Oh, you know, people that tend to freeze uh, have this to start out with. You know, it's just out of intellectual curiosity. Maybe you see that. No, we we don't we don't have to talk with the person about the situation. We just look at the brain, and we can tell that it's in a freeze response, which means that the person is likely to have inappropriate responses to situations. They're likely to not sleep well. They're likely to be depressive. They're likely to have other things that are wrong. And it's the opposite is true for fight or flight. The people in fight or flight are likely to be anxious. They're likely to have a response that's more in your face, if you will. They're likely to, they too aren't likely to sleep well because that requires the autonomic system to be reasonably balanced. Okay, so how many back and forth this, you know, tone response does it take to entrain the brain so that it's uh, more regulated? We have, we go by a session. We have four sessions in a package and the client is in that chair listening to tones for approximately an hour and 15 minutes each session. Okay. And what kind of feedback do you get after the first session versus let's say the fourth? You usually have a, a feel for what's going on after the first session you often have a major difference by the third session. And then we have an integration session or another one a couple of weeks down the line that kind of, you know, resets everything again because we never know how deeply the brain has held its networks prior. So generally, for most people, it's five sessions, but it's also great to have tune-up sessions because that keeps the brain tuned up just like you would tune up your body if you went to the gym. Um, is it possible to administer this remote? from afar? Remotely? You know, or do they have to come no. and sit in the chair and all that stuff at your place? Yeah. No, they, they have to sit in a chair. That, that's, it takes electronics there. Sensors are placed on the scalp by professional. Oh, but what about for like tune-up sessions? Do you think it would be safe to do it remotely or still you got to come and uh, make sure no. everything's okay? Yeah, it the the computer and electronics have to be in place, and the sensors have to be placed appropriately. Okay, uh, do you have like sensors all over the place, or where where can people get this done? They're proprietary for our system. We built them. No, no, I mean uh, locations where people can go into the clinic and, and get this treatment. Uh, like where uh, where are your locations? Yes, we have we have fifty locations in the U.S. now, and or six outside the United States. It's at saraset.com backslash offices. They have, uh, we have the office locations. Okay. Oh, that's great. Um, how did you figure this out when you were having your problem? Like, how, you know, did you invent this or did you run across it or how did you figure this out? I was an algorithm guy. I worked with a company before that came up with the algorithms for amazon.com, the the books, you know, if you like this book, you'll also like this one. 
And so algorithms were kind of my thing. And once I started looking at the brain, it was just a matter of trying to figure out how it was going to respond. And, and that was pretty quickly and easily done once I started, started looking at it. But mine was pretty far off. <laughs> so that made it easier. Okay. So when uh, so I guess you went through the sessions on your own uh, the first time. Like, what, what did you experience? Yeah, the first time, you know, that was in 2000. So that took 70 sessions of a couple hours each. But I was, I felt like I was benefiting some somewhat. So I kept going. And, and by the time I was done, I had started to be able to sleep for five or six hours a night. I hadn't been able to sleep more than an hour or two before. I didn't have, I didn't notice myself getting anxious when somebody was behind me. I didn't, I didn't have headaches anymore. I didn't have dizzy spells anymore. And that's, Oh, dizzy spell? Wait a minute. You had dizzy spells? What do you mean? Well, I had dizzy spells after my assault. After the baseball bat hit my head, I definitely had some dizzy spells. I would stand up or move around too fast, turn around too fast, and I would get, I would get dizzy. Oh, interesting. Huh. So was it like vertigo or was it, uh, was it different? Yeah, you could. Yeah. Yes. Many people with concussions have it. What do people report like when they when they go for their session they're after their first session like what do they say it was like for them versus subsequent ones well about you know 60 or 70 percent of the time they say it was relaxing so after the first session the person often feels like they have just had a massage or something that relaxed them greatly and and that's generally the case on each session generally afterwards they feel pretty relaxed you know, sometimes at night they will have some dreams to kind of that's where the brain is cleaning itself and they'll have some some dreams that are a little bit uncomfortable and and maybe some waking periods that are uncomfortable. But usually by second or third day, that's gone and they're starting to really experience a, a positive effect of whatever they were after, which is a number of different things. You know, it depends on the person, but Okay. So, all right. I, I just want to hear anecdotally what people are saying. And so they experience what less anxiety, less, less heightened, like um, what I call it, heightened arousal. Yeah. 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 Right. Less arousal. They feel, I guess, more normal and calm. Is that how you characterize it? Precisely. They feel, they also feel like, you know, since this is genius network, they're a lot more with it in terms of functionally cognitively. And that's incredibly true with, people that have have had COVID. Also, people that have had COVID, uh, I don't know if you know, but they sometimes lose their taste and smell. Mm, And that's a a goodly number, actually. And, you know, and that's restored as well. For For people from Afghanistan, for example, who were fighters there and were blown up and had lost a, a limb or multiple limbs, they they and others who've lost limbs and accidents often have a, a condition called phantom pain. And that's usually reset, and that usually goes away. Hmm. Okay. And that usually takes a couple of sessions. I think we have currently, in all of our data set from the past, I think we have approximately 170,000 clients. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. And we have 11 clinical trials completed, and we are doing four more now. Oh, nice. All right. What um what what is the the future of this 
protocol? Is it is it perfectly fine as it is, or are there refinements or improvements that you want to make? I think it will be ongoing for years or decades. I I think that uh, a surface change that's not invasive to help the brain regulate itself will be the newest thing and the most disruptive thing, frankly, in both behavioral science and in medicine. Hmm. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Lee, it's a really interesting, a really interesting process. Um, so what's the best way for people to find out more? Should they go to saraset.com or where else can they go? Saraset.com is a great start. On that, you, you have many, many options. There's many pages there and you can look at research studies as well. But one of the pages has area for brain talks. And that's where I talk about, you know, specific kinds of conditions and what we've found with those conditions. And I give some examples of the graphical representation uh, of the uh, frequency spectrum, left and right hemispheres, so you get a feel for exactly what's going on. Hmm. Okay, well, very good. Well, like I said, Lee, it's, you know, uh, sorry it took me a little while to entrain my brain to understand you, but I think it's there, and uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, it's not the easiest thing, Richard. It's not easy because we've never heard of such before, right? Right. And and but once people are getting it, that's why eighty six percent of our clients come from other clients. Hmm. Okay. It's person to person, basically. Yeah. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.